Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you know the Bible is God's holy word? Do you know it is inspired, inerrant, and infallible? If so, like, share, subscribe, and support this podcast. For we are Maranatha Ministries, and our redemption draweth nigh. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Jose and Matthew. Tonight, we're going to take a look at something very important, uh, the great apostasy. Now, unfortunately, here as of late, there have been quite a few rapturists, and let me define that. If you're a rapturist, this ministry defines you as such. You believe that the Greek alagasmothea, that's that Greek word there used for change in the twinkling of an eye. You believe that your changing is going to happen before Christ's perusia. Now, it doesn't matter if you're mid. It doesn't matter if you're pre. If you believe that you're going to be changed before Christ's return, that makes you a rapturist as far as this ministry is concerned. It just makes it, it easier for us. That's not a derogatory term. It's just how that Jose and I is going to address that. The other people that believe that uh, all the prophecies have been fulfilled in 70 AD, those are preterists. So basically, uh, the left is the rapturist and the right is the preterist. And we are, of course, the straight and narrow right between them. We are isochronous. That, that's what we are. We believe in isochronology. So we need to take a really good look at this because as of late, the rapturists have been saying that the word apostasy actually means the rapture. Now, Jose and I have addressed this before, but not in this light. Because we need to teach you what the real apostasy is. Because, yes, the Hellenica comes right out and tells you. It comes right out and tells you what this is all about. So let's go to the text here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The word in question is there in verse 3. 
Now, I'm going to start from the top. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or by a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, he's using this Greek word apostasia here for a really good reason, because this exact thing has happened before. Literally what's being described here is that at some point in time, in church, and I'm sorry, I'm not being prejudiced. Your church. I don't care if you're going to a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church. Your church. I don't care if it's an Eastern Orthodox church, a Catholic church, a Pentecostal church. Sacrilege is going to be performed inside that church. And this has absolutely happened before and you need to know about it because there was a time when the exact circumstances that will arise with the Assyrian false prophet is going to happen. These exact things have happened before with another leader. Now, the good thing about this leader is he was whitewashed with his son. His son did a 180 and cleansed the temple, and we're going to have to take a look at these scriptures. Because this word, apostasy, is used in what happened during that time that this wicked king was reigning. So, Jose, why don't you share with everybody who this king was and the circumstances surrounding uh, why this Greek word, apostasy, is associated with him. All right, Matthew. So th the king that we're talking about is King Ahaz. He was one of the kings of Judah. Now, this king should be familiar to us because of the Emmanuel prophecy. Um, what we're told about uh, in Isaiah chapter 7 um, in the, quite a few of the Gospels, right, it, reference, it references Isaiah chapter 7. And so you get this prophecy um, asking this king to test God. And, of course, he doesn't want to do it, but yet the prophecy still comes regardless from the prophet Isaiah. Now, this prophecy was to show him what was going to happen um, to the kings that were aligned against him. And it was basically to be reassurance to him to put his faith in God and not in anyone else. 
no other king. But of course, this king doesn't do that. This king um, seeks the aid of the Assyrians against Damascus and against Israel. Um, this Assyrian king is Tiglath Pileser III. And so when he does this, yes, he, he handled the, the Assyrian handles his enemies, but at the same time, it, is, it makes the kingdom of Judah a vassal state under him. And as being a vassal state, the Assyrian now has access, Matthew, to God's temple and everything in it. And so that's where the tie-in comes with, the, with what you just read there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So there's more detail, obviously, to that story, but that's, that's a, a, a nice um, coverage of what, of what transpired, Matthew. So do me a favor and just, just give me the short thumbnail sketch of, of what happened to the temple then. Did, did everything stay the same? Did they continue worshiping the Lord inside the temple? Let me see what it says here. Um, I'm not seeing it, Matthew. What what happened? But I, I know per the per the Bible, all the all that stuff was profaned. Everything that was in the temple was profaned. Okay. Why don't you read the religious observance there? The article that I sent you. Okay, sure. Just read it out loud. All right. Ahaz yielded readily to the glamour and prestige of the Assyrians in religion as well as in politics. In 732, he went to Damascus to swear homage to Tiglath-Pileser and his gods. And taking a fancy to an altar which he saw there, he had one like it made in Jerusalem, which, with the corresponding change in ritual, he made a permanent feature of the temple worship. Changes were also made in the arrangements and furniture of the temple because of the king of Assyria. Furthermore, Ahaz fitted up an astrological observatory with accompanying sacrifices after the fashion of the ruling people. In other ways, Ahaz lowered the character of national worship. 2 Kings 16 verse 3 records that Ahaz offered his son by fire to Moloch, or made his son pass through the fire a practice condemned by Leviticus. The words may refer to a ceremony of purification or a sacrificial offering. The account in 2 Chronicles 28 refers to sons. His government is considered by the Deuteronomistic historian as having been disastrous for the religious state of the country. And a large part of the reforming work of his son Hezekiah was aimed at undoing the evil that Ahaz had done. I'm sure that what you just read is a shell shock even to Maranatha members, isn't it? Yes, it is, Matthew. Now, Jose, do you understand the chilling impl implications here, especially concerning the Emmanuel prophecy? Yes. Now, did you know, ladies and gentlemen, did you know Ahaz did this in the Lord's temple? He not only sent up that altar. Now, I know that everybody's been, been kind of stuck in Revelation where it says where Satan has his throne. Right, Jose? Yes. There's that one special church that, that 
the Lord Jesus Christ come out and says where Satan's throne is. Nobody remembered this, though, did they? Ahaz took an Assyrian altar and set it up in the temple, rearranging the temple furniture. You know the menorah, ladies and gentlemen? You know the table for the showbread? He, rear he rearranged everything. When you know this and you prophetically look at the book of Daniel, when it talks about when this one has the power to trample down the host of heaven. You read that, especially in the Septuagint. It is not very good at all. Because literally speaking, literally the Septuagint is saying that he is altering the celestial dynamics. That is to say, he's rearranging the solar system. Now, when I say that, that's a real shock to the system. But this is exactly what Ahaz was doing. Remember, we know this for a fact, right, Jose? It's undeniable that God made it perfectly clear that not only the tabernacle, but the temple itself was a model after what's in heaven. Amen. And when someone starts rearranging the furniture in the temple, that means they're rearranging things in the heavens, correct? Correct. Why has nobody taught you this before, ladies and gentlemen? Why did you not know what happened in Second Chronicles chapter 29? Why didn't you know? I mean, especially if you've been a member of Maranatha Ministries for the past, what, 13 years? You have no excuse to have never understood what, I mean, really, especially the ramifications here, well, of, of time itself. When I say this in a classroom, I have literally had people just shocked when I pointed this out to them. Because it's really not funny when you really take a look at it and look at it. Because he prophetically comes out here and gives you a time frame. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't understand how prophetic that is, Boy, you've got a lot to learn because that specific word is also used in how the length of time it took for Hezekiah to clean up his daddy's mess. Now, look, I'm going to read it. You just have to believe it. What? How long did Ahaz reign? I just said 16 years, right, Jose? Yes. How does this take you? Okay, I'm going to go to the next chapter, 29, and I'm going to read you verses 16 and 17. So the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it 
and every unclean thing which they found in the temple of the Lord, they brought out to the court of the house of the Lord. Then the Levites received it to carry it into the Kidron Valley. Now they began the consecration on the first day. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Of the first month and on the eighth day of the month, they entered the porch of the Lord. Then they consecrated the house of the Lord in eight days and finished on the 16th day of the first month. So let me put that into you layman's terms. Out in the outer court, they cleaned for eight days. And then they actually went into the temple proper and cleaned for eight days. Now, didn't you hear what it said? And they finished on the 16th day. Did you catch it, Jose? How many years did he reign? 16 years. And how many days did it take to clean up his mess? 16 days. One day for each year. If you've never heard that before, I would challenge you this. Do you really know everything there is to know about the Assyrian false prophet? Because if you didn't know that before right now, I would say, no, you have a lot to learn. Did anybody tell you that he set up astronomical observatories in the temple? Why don't you know this? If you know everything there is to know about Bible prophecy, why would you assume that when This little horn is loudly proclaimed to be able to exercise dominion over the host of heaven and trample them down, that that would have no significance as to what Ahaz was doing under the rule of the Assyrian. If you don't know these things, it begs the question. If you've been studying Bible prophecy for 20 years, let's say, And you didn't know that, just that one little bitty thing, that Hezekiah cleaned up 16 years of apostasy in 16 days. There's a lot of you sitting here listening to my voice that are in a state of shock because you thought Matthew had already taught you everything there was to know about the Assyrian. So... I think it would behoove us to take a read of 2 Chronicles chapter 28. With this backdrop in mind, this is very ominous. Why didn't anybody know that the Emmanuel prophecy 
was given to Ahaz. It's amazing how you know these bits of information, but they're in different compartments in your brain, right, Jose? Absolutely, Matthew. <laughs> but now that I've taught everybody about the Emmanuel Elohim, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never heard me speak about Emmanuel, well, I'm going to have to rain on your party. Because in the Masoretic text, oh, yes, it occurs there in the plural form. It is Emmanuel Elohim. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's in the plural. I've shared this document publicly years ago, actually, probably about a decade ago. But when you realize, don't you understand? Oh, my goodness. Jose, you plainly read from that article that says that gives you the scripture reference that it says his sons. He sacrificed his sons, correct? Correct. Don't you realize who he was trying to sacrifice, Jose? Lord have mercy. Wake up, people. Ahaz was trying to exterminate Emmanuel. Did I rattle your cage, ladies and gentlemen? Because all these things I can prove. So I, I have literally had people in a state of shock in my classroom before. So Jose's going to take a read of Second Chronicles chapter 20 because we obviously need to find out about Ahaz because you need to understand that Ahaz was the Assyrian's harlot. So it is very important that we get this inside information as to what's been what's going to be going on in our church. Yes, yes, it will, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a rapturist or a preterist, I understand that your eschatology is extremely steeped in emotion. I am not that way because I believe the Bible is God's holy word. I really don't care what it says. And it was my mother that taught me this. She taught me, Matthew, don't get emotional about what God says in the Bible. You just have to believe it because that's the way it is. And she would explain to me, you know how your daddy sometimes will say, you know, you'll ask him, well, why? And he'll tell you, because I said so. This is God's holy word and you do not question it. When it says the sky's blue, it's blue. Now, because I was raised that way, that's probably why I'm, I don't have emotions about doctrine and dogma because quite frankly if the bible doesn't say it it doesn't exist for me everything i learned and i mean everything i learned the bible told me first so let's take a listen to this because now that you understand 
the Assyrian is going to go after and he is going to slaughter the innocents. The Bible plainly says that's what he's going to do. He's going to go after those children. And now you understand it. This is why he was sacrificing his sons. The problem is he couldn't get his hands on the right one because the right one was right underneath his nose. It was Hezekiah. But ladies and gentlemen, he thought it was a future child. And he was, he was sacrificing them to Molech. He was trying to exterminate Emmanuel. Jose, you're going to be reading this out of the New American Standard Bible 95, I take it? Yes, I am, Matthew. Let's take a read of it. All right. Let me just add just a couple of things. Um, sure. When, we've, when I've heard discussed in the past, abomination and desolation, Antiochus Epiphanes always comes up. And what okay. he did. Um, but Antioch, but I, I never hear Ahaz brought up and what occurred in the temple at that at this time. Um now, when I, when I read about Antiochus and I read about Nebuchadnezzar, Matthew, they raided the temple. They took all the all the furniture, all the utensils, everything out of out of the um, the temple. That's not what Ahaz did. He nope. left everything there. He just rearranged it. That's right. Which, which anyone that studied any kind of ancient temples. They always rearranged their furniture to reflect the heavens. Always. That's that was the whole purpose of it. It was supposed to be the house of their God. And that as a, and because of that, it reflected the heavens. So when you talk about moving furniture, this is not just to make it look more roomier, Matthew. This there is a whole lot more going on there when you're re rearranging the furniture in any temple. Yes. So I will read Second Chronicles 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do right in the sight of the Lord, as David and his father had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the balls. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Maseah, the king's son, and Azrakam, the ruler of the house, and Elkanah, the second to the king. The sons of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and they took also a great deal of spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded, and he went out to meet the army which came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. And you have slain them in a rage, which has even reached heaven. 
Now you are proposing to subjugate for yourselves the people of Judah and Jerusalem for male and female slaves. Surely do you not have transgressions of your own against the Lord your God? Now therefore listen to me and return the captives whom you captured from your brothers, for the burning anger of the Lord is against you. Then some of the heads of the sons of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, Berechiah the son of Meshillamoth, Jehezekiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Hadlai, arose against those who were coming from the battle and said to them, You must not bring the captives in here, for you are proposing to bring upon us guilt against the Lord, adding to our sins and our guilt. For our guilt is great, so that his burning anger is against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the officers and all the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name arose, took the captives, and they clothed all their naked ones from the spoil. And they gave them clothes and sandals, fed them and gave them drink, anointed them with oil, led all their feeble ones on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. Then they returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. For again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, Gedaroth, and Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimzo with its villages, and they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tiglath-Pilneser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Although Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the palace of the king and of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, it did not help him. Now in the time of his distress, the same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors and the house of the Lord, and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods, and provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways, from first to last, Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. So we could, of course, read more from Second Kings chapter 16. But I think it's enough you know what? Jose, why don't you jump over to 2 Kings chapter 16? Okay. And read that too. I don't think it's going to hurt. I, the Lord just pushed me. I think we should read it too. So fire away. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and even made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Then Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to rage war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Aram, recovered Elath for Aram and cleared the Judeans out of Elath entirely. And the Arameans came to Elath and have lived there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are rising up against me. Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him. And the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away into exile to cure, to put resin to death. Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw the altar which was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the pattern of the altar and its model, according to all its workmanship. So Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. Thus Uriah the priest made it before the coming of the king of Ahaz from Damascus. When the king came from Damascus, the king saw the altar. Then the king approached the altar and went up to it and burned his burnt offering and his meal offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar, the bronze altar which was before the Lord. He brought from the front of the house, from between his altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of his altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meal offering, and the king's burnt offering and his meal offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meal offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So Uriah the priest did according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Then King Ahaz cut off the borders of the stands and removed the laver from them. He also took down the sea from the bronze oxen which were under it and put it on a pavement of stone. The covered way for the Sabbath, which they had built in the house and the outer entry of the king, he removed from the house of the Lord because of the king of, the, of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and his son Hezekiah reigned in his place. 
boy, that's a whole lot of data, isn't it? Yes, it is, Matthew. Uh, and, and let me ask you this. Why has nobody mentioned what this priest did? Have you ever heard concerning the Antichrist, have you ever heard anybody bring up this priest? No. Can I ask you a question? Why was a priest building things? It kind of makes you want to look into this prophetically, doesn't it, Jose? Yes, it does, Matthew. Start tearing these names apart. But let's get back to the case. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when it talks about this apostasy, you're supposed to know. You're supposed to know that the one who did the great apostasy was Ahaz. And it took, and, and it blows me away how people don't put two and two together. Ladies and gentlemen, Hezekiah was an answer to the Emmanuel prophecy, but he had already been born. This is why he lived to be the successor of Ahaz. When this plainly stated that he was on multiple occasions, multiple verses, it said he was sacrificing his sons. Correct, Jose? Correct. So it blows me away when people just don't put two and two together. They just they just can't see it. And it. I mean, most people do know the Emmanuel prophecy, right, Jose? Yes, they should, Matthew. It's, it's the start of the Gospels. I mean, it, it, it is the beginning. Look, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 7, ladies and gentlemen. What, what I'm telling you is real. Now, it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzariah, the king of Judah, that Rezan, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying the Arameans have encamped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, you and your son Jericho at the end of the conduct on the highway to the foolish field. And say him, Take care, be calm, have no fear, do not be faint heart, because these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezim of Aram and the son of Ramallah. Because Aram with Aram and the sons of Ramallah has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Kabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so that it is no longer a people. 
and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and that of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. If you do not believe, you surely shall not last. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try to patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Before he eats curds and honey and the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. But you know what really happens, don't you? Because Jose read it to you. He rejected the word of the Lord. Instead, he decided to play the harlot with the Assyrian. And now you understand why he was sacrificing his children. Uh, I mean, Jose, once you put two and two together, this is a shock to the psyche, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Matthew. Especially when you understand what, what the Emmanuel prophecy was talking about, who 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 it was actually talking about. Um, Ahaz knew the worth of those children being born. And so he willingly sacrificed sacrificed them. On the Assyrian's altar. Right. I mean, listen, you have to understand what's at play here, ladies and gentlemen. I know this is for hard, hard for you to process. It's overwhelming. It was for me when it was taught to me. Look, Isaiah himself, yes, the prophet Isaiah, he went to Ahaz. And the Lord God himself, through Isaiah, said that he was going to deliver Ahaz from Israel and Aram. And he promised him a son to prove it. You need to wrap your mind around this. Ahaz instead started sacrificing the children that was born to him to the God of Assyria. Have you ever heard a worse thing concerning eschatology than what just came out of my mouth, Jose? No, Matthew, because it matches up exactly what, what God prophesies. It's, it's, it's once around the ride. So now we understand the gravity of him not worshiping the God of his fathers. Amen. Amen. Now you're able to calculate that. You're able to understand, oh, God have mercy. This is why he worships the beast from the abyss.
he is sacrificing his own children to the beast from the abyss. Now look, everybody's heard me say this before. I have always felt in my gut that the Assyrian false prophet is related to the two witnesses. Everybody's heard me say that. Well, take note. Yes, because we know. Oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you have to believe God's word. Does it not say the little horn uproots many horns? Three, correct? How many beasts are stirred up, ladies and gentlemen, from Daniel chapter 7? Four. The Assyrian false prophets kingdom it conquers the other three because in the end the whole planet will be reduced to four different kingdoms these other three kingdoms are harassing him and he approaches the beast from the abyss to save him i mean i know it's hard to digest and I'm sorry, but everything I've told you is true. The Emmanuel prophecy was given to Ahaz. So he immediately rejects God and goes to the Assyrian and starts sacrificing his children upon an Assyrian altar to the Assyrian God. In an attempt to exterminate Emmanuel. Now, if you need a hint... You ain't got a clue. If you just learned more in the past 40 minutes than you have in the past 20 years, you've got a lot to catching up to do. Because one thing is for sure. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 was very clear. I don't care when you think you're going to get raptured. You can take this to the bank. The Bible, God's holy word says you are most definitely going to see him. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And you're most certainly going to see this apostasy happen. I read it to you once. Did you not believe it? You, you have to realize that, ladies and gentlemen, reading the Bible is like reading a dictionary. Jose, when you read the dictionary, it, 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 it's kind of strange because it's not like reading a novel, right? Right. It's not like reading the newspaper because even the newspaper you take it with a grain of salt. But when you open a dictionary, you instinctively, naturally ingrain it into your brain is absolute fact, right? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you need to be reading the Bible, God's Holy Word. Because if you've got as much faith in it as you do the newspaper, you don't have to worry about bad shepherd confusing you. You don't believe it, so you're, you're never going to understand what it says. But what I'm telling you is true.
it, it's let me read one more time this says you are going to be here for the event i don't care when you think you're going to be raptured what i'm getting ready to read it is true and you need to listen to it you need to hear it with ears that can hear you need to read it with eyes that can read. You need to do that like it's a dictionary. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. What? The day of the Lord. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. And yet there's rapturists out there teaching that the word apostasy means the rapture. When if you know where this even came from was King Ahaz. Oh my goodness, you realize the breadth and the depth of the deception. Who has deceived you? Because God has given you so much information about what this apostasy is. He's talking about it's crazy. Especially with hindsight being 2020, we know who the real Emmanuel was. Who's the real Emmanuel, Jose? Well, the, in Matthew, the Jesus fulfills that prophecy. That's right. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now you put two and two and two together, and if you didn't know these things, if Look, the simplest things about these. Have I, I really haven't talked about the Hebrew or the Greek yet. Right, Jose? No, we haven't, Matthew. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't see the simple thing that it took, it took one day for each year that he reigned to clean the temple. Don't you understand what he's talking about? He's talking about what year in the heavens. He's talking about solar system mechanics. God is trying to point out to you how it is that this one, when he comes, can trample down the host of heaven and exercise dominion over them. He's not like anything else that's ever been or come. And the book of Revelation does not call him Antichrist. I am not lying. The word Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation, is it, Jose? No, it isn't, Matthew. So, once you realize that this is set up, prophetically now you understand the prophetic ramifications of what the rule of ahaz was and now you understand that what the rule of hezekiah represents in bible prophecy now if you read these two things it'll blow your mind 
it should get you very excited to sit there and, and fidget. Matthew hasn't even talked about the reign of Hezekiah. I wonder what's in there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm prepared to tell you this. Everything's in there you probably ever wanted to know, especially concerning timing. But before now, you just rejected God's word. You just you just rejected it. I didn't, I did not write Isaiah chapter seven. No, I didn't. It was always there. I didn't write Second Chronicles chapter 28. No, I didn't. Second Kings chapter 16 has been there the whole time. Why do you think it's chapter 16? I mean, so let me get this right. You don't even believe in biblical mechanics. You don't even believe that the chapters are in the where they're supposed to be. Do you not have the wherewithal to understand that the Bible God's Holy Word has 66 books in it and Isaiah has 66 chapters in it? And you like what? Think that's random or something. Because this whole time, because this whole time your clergy has not been teaching you that it's God's holy word. So you weren't reading it like a dictionary or an encyclopedia. You were just reading it like a, I don't know what. But when I read it, I can't explain it, I guess. And I, I I think and I praise the Lord, my God, that my mom and dad had our Bible on the electron in the living room. It was literally up on a pedestal my whole life. I thank God that they taught me that this is where it begins. And by God, this is where it ends, Matthew. If there's anything you want to know, right there, God is up in your face. He will tell you exactly what he intends to do, but you can't stop him. If he says, do this, you better do that thing, Matthew, because your life depends on it. And I cannot thank them enough. I mean, maybe it was because my dad would take off his belt if he caught me with something on top of the Bible. Do you think I'm kidding? I'm not. Because I carried my Bible every. What else mattered? <laughs> so anyway, you know, a little boy carries the Bible in his arms just like you carry school books. Or when you get home and you come in the front door and the first thing you come up to is the table and you naturally just bring your arm out and flap them down, guess what? If your math book is on top of the Bible, you get striped for it. And my dad would, would let you know, by God, you won't do it again. That's the Bible, God's holy word. Nothing goes on top of it. So you had to realize that your Bible had to be the one touching your forearm. Maybe that's why no one can take it from me. But 
You need to get this through your thick skulls. I got to go pick you up. There is nothing yeah. of a more valuable resource than the Bible. Because there is coming a time he will most certainly supernaturally take it from you. Jose, your thoughts? Well, Matthew, it, it only makes sense that this is where the Emmanuel prophecy takes us. This is an abomination that causes desolation, what, what Ahaz was doing in the Lord's temple. And when we understand when the Emmanuel prophecy occurs next, when the Lord himself comes and takes Emmanuel with him up to heaven, he does that because the Assyrian is going after him. And the Assyrian and whatever cohorts are with him, whatever Ahaz is playing the harlot with him, whatever Uriah is rearranging with him, that's who comes after those 144,000 that are described in Revelation chapter 14. So, of course, it has to all tie in because God's word makes sense. God's word is true and God's word is faithful. And it, it there's just no other way to put it, Matthew. There's, of course, of course, this has to line up. Of course, all these, this prophecy has to line up with the, the first time the Assyrian did this in the Lord's temple. So, boy, that's just more data to, to pack in, Matthew, more data to sift through um, and more confirmation of what we've been saying all along. Yes. You know, I know I probably shook some people's well, I, I probably shook their foundations, didn't I? You did me, Matthew. Man. You know, man, how much should I say? I always hate that when I don't know how much, I don't know how much to say. I'm, I'm hesitant to you know, because there's such a thing as information overload, right? Yes, there is. I mean, there is absolutely such a thing as information overload. Look, if you can look at the Hebrew, I want you to write these two verses down. There in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. I don't need you to tell me what the strong says. I'm sitting here looking at it in Hebrew. It says Emmanuel Elohim in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19, and Psalms 54, 1. Yes, it does. It says Emmanuel El, but the L is plural. It's Emmanuel Elohim. I don't need you to tell me what the strong says. I'm literally looking at the Masoretic text right now with my own eyes. Look, I can tell you things you probably have trouble comprehending. Like alphanumerically, this, this phrase 
is 252. In the royal count, it's 812. I can tell you more about this than than you can. I could just overwhelm you with so much information. And that's not a godly thing. Everything is only beautiful in its time. And you need to understand that about the Emmanuel prophecy and Hezekiah. Everything is only beautiful in its time. And that's why that God-hater would not seem to give Emmanuel to his Assyrian. Praise God. Jose, take us out of here in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and give you praise continuously. Lord, tonight we pray for those that are hungry, for those that are thirsty, for those that are in need. Lord, we know the only way that we are going to understand your word and the only way we are going to know what is to come is if we are led by your Holy Spirit to look out for those less fortunate. And through that, spread your love and the love of your son. So, Lord, I ask that you provide for those in need and that you push us and help us to be your hand in that work. And again, Lord, I pray for the lost, that you may gather them while there is still time. And I ask all this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen, Jose. Ladies and gentlemen, please, please do me a favor and get on your hands and knees tonight before you go to bed. And just ask the Lord to, to send the Holy Spirit to move in the people who are called by his name. Ask him to stir up the children of the promise. Because it's the only hope we have. Until next time, God bless. Godspeed. Thank you for listening to Maranatha Ministries with Matthew Miller. I appreciate you tuning in. For more information, stop by and visit us at patreon.com backslash Matthew Miller. Or you can correspond to us via snail mail by writing to P.O. Box 024, Reader, North Dakota, 58649. Now, if you're a God-fearing, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christian, please repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Its words will I hide in my heart that I might not sin against God.